I am excited today to jump in, so to speak, to the story of Jonah. And we're not going to be able to get very far this morning, but if you'll just come with us on this journey, then I think you will discover some things that maybe will be a bit of a surprise to you. I posted this online and a friend of mine, my college roommate, uh, jokingly sent back a little notice that said, uh, are you preaching this from the Bible or from a children's book? And I think a lot of us, when we think about this story of Jonah, we do think kind of the children's book idea that, you know, we close our eyes and we picture Jonah in this vast expanse in the belly of a whale, kind of, kind of the way that Disney depicts Pinocchio in the whale. And that's kind of our image of what this story is all about. But I think what we'll discover as we go through it together is that this is a much bigger story. Um, I was telling Jim Bedsell this morning, you know, a lot of times when TV shows come on, it'll say, caution, adult content. Well, in fact, there is adult content here, not in the way the TV intends it, but there's content here for adults, for all of us. There's truth here that we can apply to our lives. And so I invite you to join me in this journey as we look together in the book of Jonah over these next four weeks to see what God has to say to us. We'll learn a lot about God. We'll learn about a lot about who he is. We'll learn a lot about Jonah. But we'll also learn a lot about ourselves. I almost subtitled this message, I Am Jonah. And you can put your name in the blank. Because in many ways, you and I are just like Jonah. We'll begin to discover that a little bit this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to the first chapter of the book of Jonah. Now, I understand that's in the Old Testament, maybe a little harder to find. He's one of the minor prophets, so the book is only four chapters long, maybe a little difficult. But if you're going to start, typically you can open your Bible in the middle. It should fall. If you, if you have Old and New Testament, it should fall open to the Psalms. If you only have a New Testament, you're kind of out of luck because uh, you won't find the book there. Uh, but then you start going to the right, okay? And uh, when you hit the prophet Obadiah, he lives right next door. So you'll be, you'll be close. Giving you the page number would not help you at all, uh, but we will put the words on the screen for you. Uh, they're not printed in your bulletin simply because we're looking at the whole chapter this morning. So let's begin by taking a look at chapter 1 in the book of Jonah. And this is some good stuff. A lot takes place in one short chapter. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose, and he went and to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into, into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, lain down, and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him, and he said, How is it that you're sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. 
Each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. And so they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. They said to him, tell us now, who on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? What people are you of what people are you? And he said to them, I am Hebrew. I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened. And they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. And so they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and they said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah. They threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Lord, would you use this word in a way that only you can to bring about life and truth to us? that we might begin to apply these truths to our daily lives. Help us to see beyond what we consider to be a children's story to the deep and eternal truths that you want to speak to us right here in 21st century America. Father God, thank you for loving us enough not to let us go our own way. In Jesus' name, amen. Some people look at this story and they go, well, this is just a parable. Kind of like the stories that Jesus told in the New Testament. They didn't necessarily have to, have to you know, a man built his house on the rock, a man built his house on the sand. He, he wasn't necessarily talking about, you know, John Smith, he built his house on the rock. And, and Bob Wall, he built his house on the sand. No, not necessarily. But here it's a little bit different. What I want you to see is this is a story of a very real man. Now, how do we know this? Well, we have a number of hints, a number of clues right here from the book itself and from the Bible itself. In 2 Kings chapter 14, that's where we first encounter Jonah, not here. Jonah was a prophet in the 8th century B.C., and we read about his prophecy before King Jeroboam II in the northern kingdom of Israel. So we have a a, a kind of a a place and a time in which to put him. We're told that he is the, he's from Gath Heifer. That's a real place. It was a small village in the northern kingdom. We're told his daddy's name. His father's name was Amittai. And so what we're seeing is the picture that scripture's painting. Hey, we're, we're talking about a real guy. On top of that, if you go to Matthew's gospel, you see... That in a conversation about the resurrection, Jesus actually uses Jonah as an example. He uses his name. 
Now, you add all that up together, and what we're saying is, this is not just a story that someone's told, you know, uh, to, to get a moral across, like Aesop's fables. But instead, this is a story about a real man, a real prophet. And this real prophet had a real struggle with God's call on his life. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever had that. Jim Bedsell mentioned it a little bit earlier. Now, his struggle was not exactly like Jonah's struggle, but many of you have had those times in your life where you know God said, hey, this is my calling for you. This is what I want you to do. This is where I want you to go. This is what I want you to say. This is how I want you to respond in this situation. And we've said, just as Jonah said, no. God, I think I've got a better plan. The one you've come up with is going to cost too much. The one you've come up with is a little bit too unsavory for me. The one you've come up with is way too uncertain. I think I like my wisdom a little better than your wisdom, God. I think I like my way a little bit better than your way, God. I think my way is going to bring me more pleasure. I think my way is going to get me where I want to go faster. God, I think I'm going to go my way. Let me tell you what, that is no different than what Jonah's done. That's still saying no to God. So Jonah's a story of a real man, a real prophet who struggled with a very real call of God on his life. And as we see here, the book begins with God speaking. It also ends with God speaking, which should tell us something. God gets both the first and the last word. Okay. It begins with God speaking. It ends with God speaking. But, but we, we're not exactly sure how this happened. It doesn't say that uh, Jonah had a dream. It doesn't say that Jonah was just out on a walk and all of a sudden the heavens opened up and God spoke in an audible voice. It doesn't say that Jonah was kneeling in prayer off in his prayer closet and, and a still small voice spoke to him. We're really not sure how God spoke, but it was an absolute uncertain speaking into his life. And he says, Jonah, arise. Arise. Get up. Was he in bed? Was he laying flat down, prostrate, worshiping? Was he reclining in his lazy boy on a Sabbath afternoon? Well, we don't know. But God says, listen, you got to get up. you got to get up because I have a call for you. I have a mission for you. I have something I want you to do. I want you to go to Nineveh. And, and, and just in case Jonah had the idea that God didn't know what Nineveh was like, God gives him a little extra information. He says, I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city. Now, great, if someone says, how you doing? And you go, great, we assume that means good. Okay, that's not what this means. I want you to go to that great city, meaning it is a huge city. It is a well-known city. It is not just famous, it's infamous. I want you to go to that great city. And I want you to call out, cry out against that city because this evil has come up before me. In other words, you know, you're sitting here and you're wringing your hands about the plight of the world. These Assyrians, Nineveh was the capital of the city. These Assyrians, they are bad people. They're bad people. And I know you've been wringing your hands about this. You've been praying about this. And you've asked me over and over and over, Jonah, I want you to do something about that. God, I want you to, I want you to take care of those people. I want you to just intervene. I want you to jump all over them, God, with both feet. I, I really want you to have Adam, God. And God says, I wanted to let you know, I, Jonah, I've heard your prayers. And I've heard the prayers of so many other people. Because this cry has come out against this city. 
I'm getting ready to do something about it. So Jonah, get up. Get up. Get on your feet. Go to Nineveh and cry out against it. Preach against it. So what does Jonah do? Of course, he packs his bags, hops on the donkey, and starts heading towards Nineveh, right? No. He gets to that stoplight there in Gath Heifer, and he looks, and he can go right and go to Nineveh, or he can go left and go away from there, and he turns to the left. And he keeps driving. It says he went to Joppa. Joppa is still there, by the way. It's the city of Jaffa. Uh, it is a port city on the Mediterranean. Let me tell you, I, I haven't been, we didn't get to go there on our, our trip to Israel. It's one of the places that if I, if I go back, and, and my hope is to go back, that I want to see if we can work that into the trip. I would love to go and to see that port city. I've seen pictures of it. Uh, if you've ever seen any pictures of the Mediterranean Sea, beautiful blue sea, uh, it even, it even I'm, I've seen both. It'll even put the Gulf of Mexico to shame. It's, I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful blue it's just absolutely gorgeous. But he goes to this city of Joppa, and he, he finds this ship, this ship that's going to Tarshish. Okay, what is that? Where is that? How does it play into the story? Well, honestly, in the ancient world, there were a number of places that went by uh, the term Tarshish. It's basically a place, a smelting place, a place where, where metal is made into stuff. And, but... Based on what's happening here, it very much appears that the city of Tarshish, and I put a little map in here, the city of Tarshish, if you follow it all the way from uh, the right side of your little map in your handout uh, down towards the bottom, uh, you'll see uh, Gath Heifer and you'll see uh, Joppa right there. And then the, the body of water that's in the gray, that's the Mediterranean Sea. And if you'll follow your finger all the way across the Mediterranean Sea, all the way over to Spain, You'll see right down there, if you may need your reading glasses, but you'll see uh, the city of Tarshish. That is very likely Jonah's destination. Now, why? Quite honestly, that was the end of the world. And our text said that he was going to Tarshish to flee from the presence of the Lord. In other words, I'm going to get as far away from God as I can go. Hey, listen, as far as they knew at that time, there wasn't any further you could go to the West than Spain. That was, that was it. When you, when you went to Spain, from, all, from there on out, there was just water as far as they knew. They, they had no idea anything else was over there. So what he's saying is, I'm going to go to the ends of the earth to get away from this call of God on my life. Now, why? Listen, let's think about Tarshish. Uh, let's think about Nineveh for a minute. We know it's a great and wicked city. It's a huge city. It's a big city. It was the capital city of Assyria. It was on the Tigris River, which meant the trade routes, everything kind of flowed through there. They were a city of great power, a city of great prominence. They were a city of great wickedness. We don't know all the atrocities that took place by the Assyrians. But we have got images. You see, they actually carved these things in stone and they wrote them down. They kind of bragged about this. Here's some of the things that the Assyrians would do to their enemies. They would cut off their hands, feet. They'd even cut off their lips. Quite honestly, 
Can you imagine going through life without lips? I mean, we don't give them a lot of thought. But if they were missing, can you imagine what life would be like to go around without lips? They would skin people alive. They would take people in a conquered city and they would put, run stakes through their bodies and they would, they would plant those stakes outside the city walls so anybody who rode by and saw that would know, okay, I don't want to mess with those Ninevites. I don't want to mess with the Assyrians because this is what they do to people who, who don't get along with them. They would cut the heads off their enemies and they'd stack them up in pyramids out in the city gate. And the thing about it is, they even had people, if they'd have had cameras, they'd have, they'd have put it up and, and put it on Instagram. But they didn't have cameras. So they had people carve it. And so you have these images of men impaled on stakes. It's like, hey, we're doing this stuff and we're happy about it. We want everybody to know about it. We're bragging about it. Hey, look how rough and tough we are. You can still find those inscriptions today. Go, you go look on the internet. Look it up on Google. You can find some of those inscriptions, some of those carvings that they had. Now, this is the city that Jonah was called to go to. And you look at that and you go, well, Jonah, now listen now. You're a prophet. You ought to know better. God tells you to go. So why won't you just go? Well, let's just suppose God showed up on your doorstep this afternoon and he said, hey, you know what I'd like you to do? I got this great idea. Why don't you go down to the Atlanta airport and get a ticket to Tehran? Or or, or get one to Baghdad, maybe Islamabad. I I tell you, why don't you fly into Mecca? And you walk in there and you tell those people they're all going to hell. Kind of gets a little bit of idea of the struggle that Jonah went through with this call of God on his life. And, and listen, we can come down on Jonah. We could really come down hard on Jonah. We could say, hey, Jonah, you ought to know better. You ought to know better. You ought to know better. But quite honestly, with a lot less price, you and I say no to God every day. It doesn't even mean our life's on the line. But we say no to God. Oh, here, here he comes again. The Lord lays it on our heart. Listen, I, I want you to speak to that person over there. Oh, but Lord, you, you don't know that person. <laughs> you don't understand. I, I don't get along with them. I, I'm not like them. They smell. Lord, I, n- not them. Had those occasions where you felt prompted by the Lord to open up your wallet and give him, give that person $20. You don't even know why. You just feel that prompting and you recognize that's the last 20 bucks I've got. I don't want to have to go borrow any more from my wife this week. I don't know, Lord, maybe not this time. Maybe you felt the Lord calling you to do any number of things. It might be to step up and to serve in church or to serve in a ministry in our community or to support a ministry, one of, the, one of those great ministries that are touching lives. We don't know what it is, but how many times have we said no to God with the consequences being so minuscule? 
So let, let me cut Jonah a little bit of slack here. Because if, if God showed up and called me to go to Mecca and to start preaching, I'm not sure what my answer would be. Can I just be honest with you? I know what it ought to be. You know what it ought to be. But Jonah said no. And in fact, Jonah found a ship going as far away as he could possibly go. He booked fare, paid the price. He got on board. And he set sail. Next week, we're going to climb on board with Jonah. Next week, we're going to go with him. I just want to remind you of one thing before we wrap this thing up. And that's this. If you go back and you read through chapter 1. Let me, there's your homework. Go back and read through chapter 1 this week. Read through it multiple times. Jonah, when he said no to God, he went down to Joppa. When he got on board the ship, he went down into the ship. And when he finally said no to God and wasn't willing to turn back, he went down into the water. Listen, you need to understand this. Anytime you begin by saying no to God, the path always leads downward. And I say that because that's where some of you are today. You know that God has had a call on your life. You know that God, it, God is moving you to do something and you have said no to God. And ever since that happened, the path of your life has been downward. Yeah, you've had little blips. You've had little moments, a little respite from that, but it's just been downward. And some of you right now are finding yourself down below deck in the dark hold of a ship running from God. There's good news. Unlike Jonah, instead of going down, you can look up. Unlike Jonah, instead of continuing on your present path, you can turn back. You know what the Bible calls that? Repent. Repent. And some of you are at a point in your life where you recognize that I'm tired of running. I'm tired of saying no to God. I'm tired of keep continuing to go downward. And today, I want to come to God and say, God, I am terribly sorry for running from you. And I'm turning around today, and I'm running to you. For some of you, that means receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. You know God has laid it on your heart. He's been working on you. He's been tugging on you. He's been pulling on you. He's been convicting you. He's been drawing you. And you said, no, God, not yet, not now. I've got things I want to do. I know if I give my heart and my life to you, that's going to change everything. And I'm not ready to have everything changed. But you're sitting there going, wait a minute, I'm Jonah. I'm doing the most foolish thing in the whole world. I'm running for my God who loves me and will never leave me and will never forsake me. And today I want to quit running 
and I want to run to him. And I'm going to embrace his son as Savior. Some of you, God's laid something on your heart. He's, he's called you to step up and say, this is where I belong. This is the church in which I belong. This is the family in which I'm supposed to be connected to. And for some reason, probably maybe even insignificant reasons, you're going, oh, no, God. No, I don't, I don't think so. Not today. Not now. And God's saying to you, hey, now's the day. Come, be part of it. For some of you, there are. You're already a believer. You're already a member of this church. But there's an area of your life in which you've stood firm, planted your feet, started singing, we shall not be moved. You're living in rebellion. I want to tell you a secret. God loves the rebel. He doesn't love your rebellion but he loves you. And you can have a new start. You can have a new beginning. And it can happen today. Whatever it is that the Lord's laid on your heart, this is your opportunity to respond to his call. Don't wait. Don't say no. Don't dig your heels in. Climb up out of the hold of that ship. Come up onto the deck. Throw your hands up in the air and say, God, I'm here. Yes. Yes. Let's pray. Father God, for those who are struggling with decisions right now, I pray that they will cease their struggle and begin their direction to you. Lord, we're thankful that you are God of the second chance. For many of us, you're the God of the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth chance. Your grace never runs out, your mercy never ends. Your love endures forever. And so, Lord, we come to embrace your Son as Savior, to embrace this as our church family, or simply to tell you, Lord, we're tired of running from you and we want to spend the rest of our lives running to you. We're tired of saying no, God, and we want to say yes. And we have no idea what's going to be on the other side of that yes. Yes, there'll be cost. Yes, there'll be sacrifice. Yes, there'll be humility. But Lord, we'd rather say yes with you and to go into the belly of the beast than to say no and to keep on going downward. Because we know you're with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. Your son Jesus said he's with us always to the very end of the age. Lord, you're with us. We just want to acknowledge this morning that we're with you. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.